On this week's episode, I speak to Marnie Benny. Marnie Benny is an independent curator working at the juncture of contemporary art and technology. She has spent the last decade producing nearly 30 exhibitions in city centers, public spaces, galleries, festivals. And some of these have been the uh, New York Hall of Science, University of Cambridge in London, the Nook Gallery in Los Angeles. Really a fascinating conversation because in her current role, she is the co-founder and curator of AIartists.org, which is the largest community of artists using AI. And this platform is allowing artists to share their practices, investigate the future implications of AI on society. I really enjoyed the conversation because I do love art and art history. So we kind of got to explore different avenues of where AI is coming into the space, how it's growing. There's exhibits out there showcasing the power of AI in art. Either we're talking about, you know, the art taking on its own form and learning and producing various iterations of itself or robotics and somebody working with a technologist to help produce a machine that produces art. I mean, there's so many different variations. We'll link to the show notes a couple of the exhibits out there and various artists work to give it some context because I think if you can visually see what the AI generated art looks like, I think it's going to change your perception of where things are going. We touch also on just where traditional art sits with the new emergence of this AI component, the new skill sets required to leverage and harness this technology. I was thoroughly fascinated. We actually ended up finishing the recording and we uh, started sidebarring a separate conversation I, and I thought it was still just engaging and I re started recording. So this is a little bit longer podcast than typical, but uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it. So without any further delay, Hey, Marnie, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So I did provide an introduction at the beginning of the podcast, but obviously I'd never do justice. I was hoping maybe you could tell all the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of who you are and how you got here. Sure, absolutely. So I'm a contemporary art curator. So contemporary art, mainly working with artists who are still alive, which opens a possibility for more collaborations. I was always interested in the arts, of course, but then really interested in science as well. So I sort of started my curatorial path being interested in environmental science in particular. And I produced a show called Nature in the Dark with a co-curator in Australia that focused on sort of water quality. There's different iterations of it. There were a lot of different artists in different mediums. And that was sort of my first big curatorial science-based show. And it was very participatory for sort of a broad audience that wasn't necessarily into science or not necessarily even into art. And that sort of really solidified for me the types of shows that I wanted to do as a curator. You know, approachable shows, shows where people could have a lot of different mediums where they could engage with the material and the artwork and sort of the educational components and bits that they could learn sort of about water quality during the show. So from there, I was working with Sci Art Initiative and I was their curator for about five years. And now I'm their curatorial advisor. And through SciArt, we did many shows in galleries and universities. We actually have a show up now at the New York Hall of Science called Weather the Weather, which is a show that's focused on climate change and how weather affects our day-to-day. -day. And you and I were just 
talking about cloudy days. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and I live in New York and it's really cold and, you know, people tend to stay inside. So it really does affect our day-to-day life. So... Yeah. And now I just am an independent curator sort of still. So I work with galleries and museums and my shows focus in science and more recently, more so in the tech world, which is why I started AIartist.org. Cool. AIartist.org, I guess that's the largest community of artists using AI. What was the driver of starting that? So artificial intelligence is something that people... Well, first, it's relatively invisible and it's a little bit difficult to understand, yet it influences our daily decisions. So it determines the routes that we drive. It determines the songs that we hear on Spotify. You know, all these different algorithms that are influencing our minute-to-minute life. And I was really interested in learning more about this. And I was really interested in seeing had the space to experiment and play with this type of technology. So technology goes really quickly. And I think that often, you know, maybe engineers don't have the time to sit and think about all of the implications or to even think about, you know, positive and negative. And artists, when they're utilizing this technology, are largely sort of showing a mirror to society of you know, what this technology is and how this is influencing us for the positive and the negative. And I was really inspired by artists that were working with this type of technology and sort of uncovering you know, this onion layers and layers of meaning and, and all the different ways that it can be expressed. So I wanted to create an online platform where artists could show the work that they were doing and connect with each other. And then also as an education tool for other artists to, if they were interested in learning machine learning, how to use AI creatively, uh, there's some tools on our website as well. And there's a little bit of a historical outline, just a resource for people because I'm very interested to know what the creative mind thinks about this. Interesting. And we'll link to the website so that people can kind of go on. I was on it. That's how I I found you is uh, being on the website, just kind of getting to see what the artists have been doing the work. So this is obviously an audio format. Can you maybe describe what AI and art means? As in like, again, like you mentioned, Spotify impacts us, but art's a visual medium at the end. What does AI and how does it work within a piece of art? That's a great question. And it depends on the artist and it depends on many different decisions that the artist makes from everything from the data sets that an artist will use. So if they're going to use music or they're going to use busts of the Renaissance. So first, you know, you kind of start there and then there's a lot of decisions during the process as well, where the artist and sort of goes back and forth with the technology, with the machine. So first it's the machine's learning and it learns and it continues to learn. And then the artist can tweak it and do different things. And then of course, if you're going to have like a formal art piece output, like a traditional form of art, so like a painting or a sculpture or something like that, you know, an artist needs to choose their medium. There's sort of a lot of different decisions that they can do with that because, you know, the output, there's a bazillion different materials that artists could potentially use with this technology. So yes, it's a big question, but I'll give some examples. So I have a show opening on Friday and one of the artists is Ben Snell and he uses Renaissance bus portraits. So he trains his AI technology on these busts from the Renaissance. And through that, 
he works with the AI to produce these sort of almost like sculptural forms that are reminiscent of human form, but they also are very dynamic. They look like, I mean, they're static sculptures, but they almost look like a drop of water when you slow a drop of water down and then it kind of pops up and it has this sort of like globular effect and it's really beautiful. So there's a lot of motion. It's also, you know, a study of human form and things like that. So that's an example of a piece of work And there's many examples you want me to continue. (laughs) I actually hopped onto Ben Snell's site just because I was curious, kind of get a visual myself. I'll I'll link this, obviously, because I think it's interesting to see, you know, again, AI, it it does impact us even right now. Like we're not waiting for the uh, self-driving cars of tomorrow to come. It's happening now. Your Spotify, you mentioned, you know, showing up on Amazon and getting uh, interesting recommendations. It's learning what we like. So it's interesting with AI and robotics and art. I guess the initial thought I have is, you know, I guess the person who's creating the robot to do it versus the person who actually, let's say, in the traditional art where someone's actually involved in the 360 process. I mean, I guess authorship here has to be a sticky situation. I had the uh, CEO of Amper Music on who, you know, has AI create and compose music pieces. And we were talking about authorship there. What are the thoughts on who gets credit in a case where AI or robotics is involved with a piece of art? Yeah, this is a great question. And as with most complicated things, there isn't a simple answer. And the art world definitely tends to be a place where there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of like the Wild West in a lot of ways. And rules are constantly changing and artists are constantly being dynamic and pushing sort of the envelope. I mean, since the beginning of time, but, you know, land art, for example, you can't really sell that. So yes, the idea of who sort of gets the credit is a complicated one. And it depends on what artists that you talk to. So there's artists that feel strongly that, you know, this technology is a tool. Mario Klingman is one of them. He says in one of his videos that, you know, if there's a pianist, do you say, well, who's the artist, you know, the pianist or or the piano? And that's not a question. And so he views this technology as a tool like a piano. There's other artists that take sort of a more collaborative approach. And the show that's opening on Friday, there's three different artists, Wing Chung, Tom White, and Ben Snell. And they definitely take a more collaborative approach. I haven't directly asked them who they think the artist is, but in their writing and in our conversations, they talk about sort of the back and forth that they have with this technology. So they'll sort of train this technology and then there's an output. And then, you know, from that output, then they respond as the artist and sort of it's a conversation that goes back and forth. So it depends who you ask. Yeah, I could imagine. It's still so early. Like I've been thinking, you know, when different pieces of art, different mediums have started, there's always a transition point in terms of adoption. At this point in where AI and robotics is involved with art, is there any fear at all that there could be a destruction in art? Or is it only viewed as it's an evolution? There is nothing that's being altered in the way we think of art. Yes, and definitely that is a fear. Again, so there's a fear sort of broadly in society about AI, largely because people, you know, the technology is difficult. I mean, not necessarily difficult, but the technology isn't sort of understood by, you know, the normal, you know, person unless they're in this field. So there is definitely that fear for creativity because the technology can produce art that humans can't tell the difference between if that was done by a human or if that was done by a machine or AI technology. But I think that 
I mean, AI is also still very, and you know, when we say AI, it's largely it's machine learning is what's sort of, you know, used now in public. So it's a very specific data set. It's not sort of creativity as humans, you know, understand and know it. This being said, I mean, you know, AI, machine learning, they are, it's creating poetry, music, and, you know, paintings and sculptures and, and different things like that. And I think that people also get scared because it's like, well, if machines are creating this, they don't need to be paid. So then, you know, our artists kind of out of work, you know, those are all fears. I think it's a little bit limited to just think it's kind of be like all or nothing. I think kind of the beautiful thing that's happening with a lot of artists that are using this type of technology is that they're inspired by this technology. So Reeps Juan is a beatboxer and he worked with the EAT program at Bell Labs and they trained an AI on his beatboxing. And then he was able to sort of have this collaborator that was in his style, but would make decisions that he never would. And then it inspired him to sort of make different decisions or it was, you know, just sort of generally inspiring to him. So I think looking at it like that is perhaps a more productive sort of healthy way. It doesn't have to be that one takes from the other, but when you bring sort of human and machine learning into collaboration, like what's possible. Interesting. So I guess in the example where, you know, the beatbox was through AI and obviously it's going to come up with different permutations of what's possible. Is there any concern that it could get too perfect? I guess is like part of what we like about art is we know is created out of the artist's mind. This is one instance of what he possibly could create out of infinite choices. With AI, as it's learning whatever data they're putting in to train the algorithm, is there any fear that it could just get too good? Like art could be too perfect? Is that even a concern? That's interesting. I have not heard that concern before. And I think that also with art, it's very, I mean, it's very subjective. So it's difficult to sort of, I think, have one thing that everyone's like, oh my gosh. I mean, arguably throughout history, there are things that are very valued and they're in museums and, you know, they're taught and different things. But I think that there's a lot of beauty in the imperfection of art as well. And I think that, you know, humans see a lot of themselves in those imperfections. And I think that that is something that will never change. So I'm sure that is a concern, but I don't personally feel that way. I guess it's interesting because I kind of view it as, you know, like I always, you know, talk to friends, I go like, if Tom Petty was born today or Bob Dylan, they'd never make it on air. It would be very difficult to imagine unless they're going to get auto-tuned. But that voice that we hear, that particular sounding style would probably have a hard time to break through. So I kind of like think about like in my mind of art and AI, I'm thinking, you know, what happened to photos with Photoshop? Like, you know, Ansel Adams takes a photo. I mean, he might be able to do some manipulation, but it's not pixel by pixel changing. I mean, I, I don't have the skills or the ability, but people can alter photos dramatically, you know, auto-tuning in music you know, versus the one takes they did you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago to cut an album. I guess not understanding that I keep thinking to myself, you know, can a piece of art get too fabricated? But I guess it depends if the artist is choosing that path. I guess that's where you mentioned the decision point in this process. Exactly. Like where the technology is right now, it's not possible for a machine to sort of go do its own thing. And, you know, also the technology, you know, humans are what, you know, living in this very full world and globe that we have and influenced constantly by sort of outside songs or films or 
travel or you know what have you and this technology isn't living in the time and space and so you know you bring up Tom Petty and I think that you know a lot of artists musicians you know what have you performers like it's time and place that was really you know helped them to be you know the greats that we know now and when time does change then people change with that and then you know so then we have other greats and other types of music and an AI isn't able to do that or is only able to do that right now with, you know, very sort of small set of data. And they're not kind of able to process the way that humans do. I mean, I guess to speak to the technology that is early, one thing that I always think is really interesting is that, you know, like a human child seeing a butterfly for the first time, they see a butterfly and they're able to recognize the butterfly again way before an AI is. Because the butterfly wings might have spots. And then if it sees that sort of same iridescent, like purple quality with a spot, but it might be a peacock or something, you know, and it takes the machine a really long, well, they can process a lot of data quickly, but it takes a lot of trial and error. Whereas a human is for whatever reason, which you know I don't understand, would love to know. So if anyone listening does now, let us know. But, you know, a human is able to sort of, you know, pick that up immediately or close to it. I think it's all... You know, you go to Florence, you see uh, Michelangelo's you know, David statue. We don't see many of those statues anymore. So obviously, evolution and you know techniques, like you mentioned, time and place has changed. So why wouldn't a robotic produced art stand as an art medium? The guy who uh, splashed the uh, paint around. Oh my god, I'm not going to. Oh, Jackson Pollock. Yes. Who would have probably thought of, you know, 500 years ago to take paint, splash, drip, and consider that art? I mean, I guess I mean, it makes sense what you brought time and place. Yes, exactly. I think art sort of is our cultural little temperature gauge or something. You know, it's a cultural gauge. It really is. And we learn about history and we learn about humanity and what was happening politically and socially and, you know, so many things through culture, which is why one of the reasons I wanted to become a curator and one of the reasons I'm interested in AI, because this is a huge shift and I think it's important for artists to be using this technology and to be asking these questions and to be really exploring the relationship that sort of humans and machines and technology are going to have. I'm curious, I'm going to shift and talk about skill set involved. So I, I don't know when we're talking about an artist, obviously, you know, they can either independently learn based on talent or go to art school, learn different techniques. When we're talking about AI and robotics and art, where does the artist's skill set end? Or are they actually learning software development and, and machine learning techniques and they're getting into Python to be able to do this stuff? Yeah, great question. And also not an easy answer. So it depends on, I mean, the artist. So an artist could potentially hire someone to make their vision. But, you know, I've spoken with several artists and sort of like creative technologists. And I, I do think that there's a difference between the two. But it is important for artists to learn the technology, to really have this sort of process-based back and forth, which in, you know, an artist studio practice, whether, you know, if you're not using technology and you're doing a very traditional medium and you're not interested in the tech at all, there is a trial and error that you're constantly working with medium or, you know, trying to get a specific characteristic or quality of something. And it takes back and forth with the medium. So... It is important, 
And, you know, again, this is sort of, I'm taking this from artists because I'm not actually myself experimenting with this technology, but it's important for them to be able to know some about this. And the more they know, the more sort of creative play they have and creative sort of autonomy. What's interesting is that it is not easy to have access to a lot of these technologies or to have computers that can process the amount of data that would make it, you know, not take like weeks on end if you do like one little, you know, tweak or, you know, a big tweak, what have you. So that's kind of an interesting thing to consider as well is sort of like this, you know, knowledge is tough. So I think that sort of initially there were technologists that were playing with this technology in creative ways with music, with visual pictures or, you know, what have you, because they understand the technology and they wanted to kind of see what it can do. I think I'm more interested now in traditionally trained artists that want to learn the technology or want to collaborate with someone to help them learn the technology and help work together. I'm a huge fan of collaboration as it is already with art and science. There's just so much sort of beautiful innovation that can come from that. I mean, the Renaissance is a great example. Obviously, you know, Da Vinci learning human body and being an you know, engineer and all of this as well. So I think that it's important to know both or have people collaborate and work really closely together and sort of have a common goal instead of, you know, one person to say, this is my goal, make it for me. I think once you simplify the technology, I mean, I don't know when that's going to happen, but, but as the technology gets simplified, you know, possibly more people will get into art that might have limitations in skill, but they have creativity. So I wonder if down the road, this will reduce the friction for me to be an artist. Who knows? Maybe I have a, my ability to produce a brushstroke or, or I can't make a circle with a pencil to save my life. Apparently, it's always an oblong object. <laughs> But maybe too, the creativity, yeah, the creativity <laughs> translates differently once maybe that part is able to be done by me. Obviously, like you mentioned, now the technology is not accessible for me at home to work with. But I mean, three D printing happens and at home to a certain extent. So you got to imagine the curve will adjust over time. Yeah, I mean, perhaps I think the one thing is that you know artists are like you know informally trained and not formally trained artists but they are really intentional about why they're making what they're making and what they're exploring and largely they are thinking sort of about the world how we see the world where we are in the world and they're making things that speak to that in some way shape or form especially contemporary artists of today but even you know sort of you know back in the day you painting and things it was looking at things differently and and why things were sort of a way that they were, which were sort of very, I mean, there's always sort of been these evolutions. And I think it's humans sort of always trying to see what has been and what was, and then sort of push the envelope in some way and have just a, a strong intention of why they're doing what they're doing. So I think that's an important aspect when you're thinking of an artist. Yeah. Like the intention behind the work. What about like, I guess, the uh, traditionalists? Like what's, I mean, just from the art community, what are some of the viewpoints of this is being considered, you know, as blasphemy to have you know, non-traditional assistance? Is there a dissenting voice that's loud? Or, you know, as you mentioned, art's the wild, wild west. So people, it is subjective. People are like, go at it, you know, try something different. Yes, there is. I mean, I think sort of the art and tech movement is always been met with, 
as with, you know, most change is met with resistance in a way. And I think that's largely having to do with the fact that I mentioned earlier, sort of there's creative technologists that are familiar with the technology and sort of mess around with it and come up with some, you know, output. And that is one way, but I think sort of a more sort of formally trained and someone who is an artist and not even formally trained. I don't mean school when I say formally trained. I mean, they look at the world differently than most and sort of are exploring, you know, as a mirror kind of where we are in society, especially with these technologies and creating work that's based from that. And so I think that that's the issue is that people who are more traditionally trained artists are like, well, these, you know, creative tech people aren't really artists, you know, like it might be like a production company that makes like a cool, like light experience, you know, at a retail at like Nike or something, you know, because retail's going down the tubes a little bit. So now stores are wanting to have an experience for their employees and sort of like, is that art? And like, you know, that's done for a company and it's done through like a production company, you know, and there is creativity attached to that. But I mean, would it be sort of with intention and thinking about where we are. It's like, it's not answering any of those questions. It's not exploring any of those things. There's not much of philosophy behind it. And I think that that's largely where some of this pushback comes from. And so again, I'm interested in, in artists that are, you know, more philosophically, you know, exploring through their creative practice and using these types of technology and learning how to use these types of technology, which again is, you know, not easy. Google just did a small little, it's a small grant program, I think with six artists. And so they're merging their like engineers and technologists with these artists, which is great. I wish there was more of that. It seems like it's, uh, I think with anything that changes, you know, I think technology starts you know, having people question and, and wonder whether or not it's just gotten easier. I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, cave people sketching on a cave wall were challenged to create art, but they did. And I mean, a machine, I mean, I, I'll, like I said, I'll link to the, uh, the AIartist.org site because there's some examples that when you see it, you're like, that's not what I would have thought. Like, I mean, I know there's an example of a robot with a paintbrush in its hand. Yes, yeah. And that's where you start going, I hadn't thought that, you know, my traditional sense of art is being challenged from thinking, you know, there's an actual artist with the brush in it his or her hand to make those conscious choices versus now a machine is being told. And again, you know, depending on what the choices the artists make, that's a completely different media. I don't know if it's called medium. I mean, there's a machine, you know, doing the stroke. So I just think it's all very interesting because I think it is just, it's the natural evolution of uh, technology being applied to art and who knows where it's going to go. I, I'm sure it's going to change quite a bit in the next decade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, completely. And um, so Suguen Chung is one of the artists that actually creates... Well, she was also at the Bell Labs with through the EAT program, which is you know, a fantastic program because it does link artists and these engineers. And she was able to sort of train these robots on her brush stroke, essentially. And so she does a performative element where she's painting and the small robots are painting as well. You know, that's collaboration with the result of a painting and through the performance. And Stephanie Dinkins, she's an artist that I love. And she is working on, you know, several different projects, but one is sort of storytelling. And so she's trained her AI entity on stories of her family. And so three members of her family of different generations. And when I did a studio visit with her a couple months back, 
it was so funny because, you know, we're just, we're sitting there in front of a computer and she did create a vessel that these stories, you know, sort of emanate from. And, you know, it was kind of going in the background that the AI was kind of picking up on what we were saying. And then it would like respond to us as, you know, being trained on her family members, like conversations essentially, which was fantastic. And I think the most sort of fantastic element of that was seeing Stephanie's like delight when, because she didn't know what the, you know, AI was going to say. So it was always like a surprise and delight for her and like interesting. And then also to sort of have that in her family's sort of voice was, I think, compelling as well. So it was fun to sort of watch her and and the AI together. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that example and probably, you know, the evolution of the power of what she's going to gain from that will lead her to, you know, just a different type of installation or or an exhibit. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I haven't, you know, in, in LA, you know, we have the Getty Museum and a few other museums. I, I haven't heard of something coming through that, you know, would have that impact. But maybe when it does, I don't even understand it yet. But I think it'd be really cool to experience something like that, like you just described, because it would be almost like it'd be a brand new experience every time versus art, you know, you can interpret it differently, but actually like having a whole new, you know, instance of it every time someone engages is it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. And she'd been sitting with this for, you know, weeks. So it was like, you know, still really, you know, exciting to see what was coming up. <laughs> cool. I like it. I think it's really exciting. And then uh, I know we talked about the exhibit that you have I guess the exhibit, is it more focused on the science and AI? I know you mentioned Ben Snell. Is it more centered entirely around... And where is it? Is it in New York, actually? Yeah. So the exhibit is in New York. It's at Separ Contemporary. And I'll give you a link for this too. But um, it's in New York. It's at Separ Contemporary in Tribeca. The opening is this Friday, the 10th from 6 to 8. The show is entitled Art in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. And... Yeah. So we have three artists, as you mentioned, Ben Snell, Tom White, and Wing. I call her Wing. And they are all working with machine learning and AI technology or inspired by the technology. And so largely the show is an investigation of the collaboration between human and machine. And then it's also an investigation into like sort of what a machine sees, what a machine hears, what, you know, what AI hears, what it sees. And again, we have sort of different outputs of what is seen through the 2D work from Tom White, Ben as the sculpturer, and that's trained on the Renaissance bus largely. And Wing focuses more on sound. And so she started being interested in how sort of artificial intelligence hears accents and what kind of happens when they do and how they react to it. So that, that was the inspiration. But for this exhibition, she was teaching her machine to say numbers. And she then took that sort of sound bite and then did a visual representation of that sound bite with some of her own creative input. And there will be sort of sound elements. So it's a kind of a multimedia piece. It's a 2D piece that will be on the wall. But um, there's like fabric and there's some metal bits in there. And yeah. That's interesting. Do you know if anyone's like... Uh documented the process, like actually, you know, videoed their process of interacting with, you know, robot AI and kind of, you know, like the journey of, is is there something that that we could maybe share? Because I think it'd be really interesting to see how somebody actually interacts and does it. 
Yeah. Stephanie Dinkins is great. So she has worked on many things. She also created Bina. So Dinkins tests this question through a series of, oh, can an artist and a social robot build a relationship over time? And so Stephanie, she tests this question through a series of ongoing videotaped conversations with Bina. And so we can show those. And so she explores along the possibility of a long-term relationship between a person and an anonymous robot based on emotional interaction. And Bina has her kind of own personality that Stephanie helped program, you know, and then obviously Stephanie has her personality and then they talk and she asks her questions and Bina responds. And sometimes it's on point and sometimes it's not, but interesting and, and maybe on point in a way, you know, you could see almost how it could mean something else that would make sense kind of based on what she's trained on. So that's really interesting. And a lot of Stephanie's work has to do with like race. So that's also sort of an interesting, compelling piece to her work and these conversations as well. Art can't be right or wrong. So that's in the end, it'll be interesting to see how all this ends up playing out. But it it sounds exciting. It sounds like the AI artist org is kind of a good first place to kind of start building a knowledge base and repository for these artists. The exhibit sounds really exciting and uh, definitely really cool what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I wish you could come out <laughs> and see. I know. It. Oh, yeah, I'm excited now. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to Google some of this online just to see some of the videos of. Uh, my mind's trying to wrap itself into you know how this happens, but I'll, I'll you know some of the links that we'll put in the show notes. I'm definitely gonna to dig in and kind of just understand how uh, all that works. But super cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's all really interesting, and you know it was challenging to find you know artwork that was sort of in the traditional form. That was also sort of what we wanted to go for because we're taking sort of this like technology, and then the output is sculpture, painting, mixed media work, which is you know compelling to see sort of and to help people sort of see how artists have collaborated with this technology to create these outputs. If you were to go back and you mentioned innovation in the Renaissance period, like if you were to compare somebody picking up AI, what is the nearest comparison to something that happened in the Renaissance or, you know, obviously, you know, based on the art history and and all that, what's a similar comparison? Like how do we actually draw the parallel to the impact that this is having now? So, I mean, the impact is interesting question, and I don't know if it's a... So first I'll answer kind of that. So what's exciting to me also about AI and artists that are utilizing this technology is that this technology is changing every moment of our lives. Again, you know, the songs, the route you take to work, and we don't understand, again, largely don't understand it. And a paintbrush, for example, isn't changing someone's life every minute of every day. Yes, there's beautiful masterpieces. And yes, a paintbrush might mean just as much to one person, but it certainly doesn't mean the same thing or have the same impact that artificial intelligence and machine learning has on humanity. So impact, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I think about, you know, the industrial revolution and the, you know, electricity. I mean, that changed huge, you know, we changed as humans and, you know, our our sleep patterns and, you know, all different kinds of things because of that. So I think that there's been a couple of like big, big things that have really changed humanity or, you know, put culture on it or, you know, society has acted completely differently than it had before. But what I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, the tech revolution is quite quick. Whereas, you know, the impact, you know, and these other sort of milestones historically, you know, they've taken years and years, you know, to really change products that people are buying. Well, it's been slower than the tech now because the tech, it's just, it's really quick. 
So what would be an example of, let's say, like when Impressionists were coming around, that was brand new. Nobody'd seen somebody take a bunch of small dots to make a painting. Like, I mean, it would have been, why are you not just painting it? Like, would that be similar? Like, in, in to kind of, you know, obviously that's maybe more well-known, you know, something that's more well-known. Like, how divergent is this to kind of draw an analogy to kind of help us understand kind of what's happening? I mean, the thing that comes to mind for me, and, you know, this is definitely arguable, but would be land art. So when artists were actually manipulating landscape or creating work, ephemeral work in the landscape, you know, Cecilia Bakuna, for example, you know, of course, you know, she created these really beautiful sort of ephemeral works of art from natural materials that then just disappear over time. They, you know, fall apart and and degrade and, and things like that. So I think that that was super disruptive. And, you know, and then of course, you know, you have, you know, the guys out West that were bulldozing land and things like that. And you couldn't sell that. Like that wasn't something that you could put in the gallery and sell it. So that was disruptive and sort of like, I guess, sort of the gallery like sales process. But again, it's different because that's just, that's, that's sort of like art and sales. Whereas this is artists utilizing technology that is changing most people's lives every day. I mean, that's hard to kind of think about something historically that really matches that as far as sort of an art movement. I mean, there's been utilization of mediums, but this one is, I mean, it's different in the sense that it, it is a tool, but this tool, you don't always know what the product is going to be of the tool. Would it be similar to when the actual paintbrush was first invented? Like, would this be to the point where up until a paintbrush was invented, I don't know how people painted, but once the paintbrush was invented, that obviously changed the way art could be produced on a, on a solid material of some sorts. Yeah, I mean, for sure. But I think that, that it goes to say that like the paintbrush is like a tool and like the paintbrush is not going to output something that you can't expect. Gotcha. There's no expected outcome. You know, if you're making a brush stroke with certain resistance and certain amount of pigment, you're going to get a certain result. This is a wild card. The output could be variable and you could be unknown. It never can be produced again, it seems. Like it could be once once in a lifetime. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you constantly sort of get this new output because there is this level of, yeah, of unknown that happens. And not completely. I mean, it's not like, you know, you only, you train, you know, your AI on, you know, your coffee cup, for example. And then it, it produces a, a landscape. But there's nuances that are different. And you kind of don't know. Nemo Aiken does a really beautiful job sort of showing this on video where he trains his system on landscape paintings. So with ocean and sky. And then he takes a mouse. And the mouse is either the sky or the ocean. And then he takes something, another like, I don't know, desk. Something that I forget what the other tool is. In real time, you see one cut of the video, him moving his mouse, like the computer mouse, and then moving this other tool. And then on the other part of the image, the video that he shows, you see what the technology, what the AI is seeing based on these two things it's never seen before. So its output is only what it's learned, which is landscape painting. So you see when he is moving them, it looks like waves moving or it looks like clouds moving to the sky. That's a pretty good sort of visual of this technology. 
So those nuanced movements, like you don't know, like you, they, you see the movie, but you don't see how the brushstroke is going to make that movement look in that moment in the video. But you know, it is only going to show something that's reminiscent of water because that's all he's trained it on, if that makes sense. No, it's good. I definitely appreciate you being on and kind of explaining um, the impacts of AI and art. We'll definitely share a lot of the links you mentioned. Best of luck on the exhibit and uh, excited to see how things move forward. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And this was a great conversation. 